Welcome to the sixth and final episode from the Joint Social Work Education Conference held at Royal Holloway in the summer. Now, today's interviews, uh, there's a fascinating interview to start with, with three newly qualified social workers. Uh, we've got uh, Nicola Grieve, we've got Will Burton and Leanne McGovern, all at the University of Dundee, all qualified at the University of Dundee and uh, in slightly different stages of either looking for or starting off in, in work. And getting their views upon the landscape of social work is quite fascinating and well, well worth a listen. And then a book launch. Now, the book is called Social Media in Social Work Education. And the six authors, and so trying to get them round the microphone was quite tricky. However... It worked, and it was very well worth it. And the six authors are actually now uh, Tarzam Singh Kooner, who's uh, from Birmingham University, David McKendrick at Glasgow Caledonian University, Jackie Rafferty at the University of Southampton until she retired in 2012, Amanda Taylor, who we've heard from before on this programme, is um, at the University of Central Lancashire, Liz Thackeray was employed for a long time in, um, as a manager and social worker in voluntary and statutory settings, and she's now a consultant with the Sussex Learning Network and uh, quite closely involved with the University of Sussex. Denise Turner, former social worker and a lecturer at uh, University of Sussex, and Joanne Westwood, she trained as a social worker in statutory and voluntary care, and she teaches child welfare, childhood theory and communication. And uh, she's closely involved with the University of Central Lancashire. So the six of them talk about social media in social work education. It's a fascinating book and it's from Critical Publishing and uh, I recommend it. And the final interview is with Pauline Franklin. Now, Pauline is uh, a senior lecturer in social work at uh, Canterbury Christchurch, and she came along with two young people who had been in care, Holly Dixon and Ben Middleton, but were now involved with a, a terrific charity called Catch 22, and they were coming along to talk about using social media to promote the voice of young people in social work education. Now, Holly, Ben and Pauline gave a terrific discussion about how we ought to be um, listening to young people more, listening, if you like, to the service user um, when it comes to actually the use of social media and how that can be a powerful mechanism by which young people can have a voice. And uh, these days you will not hear more passionate debate than how the young people of today who are service users seem to feel they haven't got a significant enough voice so I commend this one to you as well. So let's have a listen to the first. Okay, joined by three newly qualified social workers here from the University of Dundee. Nicola Grieve, who's been working for five weeks. We've got Will Burton, who's just secured employment and is about to start, and Leanne McGovern, who's effectively been working for a year. 
Okay, well, we'll start with you, Leanne, because I want to get your ideas about the social work landscape. Okay, has that year been as you expected it would be? The, the ups, the downs, the challenges, whatever, I mean, or has there been things that you didn't expect have happened? I think I was quite lucky because I had a, a statutory placement in children and families um, as my last placement, so I was aware of what challenges there were going to be and kind of what the current climate was like. Um, the year, you know, there has been ups and downs and it's been difficult as it is in any new job adjusting to that and, and managing the various things that, that come with it. But overall, you know, I, I think it, it's kind of been what I would have expected. Now, in all fairness, we're not going to mention where you're working because that's unfair, but just general pictures about how the team were welcoming, were they? I mean, are, there, are they experiencing vacancy problems the same as everywhere else, or are you lucky that you've got a full team? We've got a full team at the minute, and actually it's a fantastic team. We're all really, really supportive of each other. There's lots of opportunities for informal supervision between the workers. I mean, there is a high level of, of staff turnover, so there's been a lot of people that, are, that have left in just a short space of time that I've been there. Um, but I think that's kind of an, an issue across across the whole of the country, really, around retention rates and things. So good support from colleagues, good supervision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. supervision's great, actually. I think I, I've had experiences of not so great supervision and, and brilliant supervision, and I'm quite lucky at the moment that my current supervisor is really, um, you know, she really challenges me in supervision. So not only is it a reflective space, but we do talk about evidence-based practice as well and apply the theories and knowledge um, to, to the cases that I'm holding. Is it, so, I mean, given you had a bit of experience in placements and stuff before, but, I mean, is it, is it as you expected it was going to be? Yeah. I, d I don't think I quite realised how much of an impact it would have. You know, social work, it's not just a job, it's your life. And, you know, it's really long hours, it's seven, eight o'clock at night coming home. And, you know, the way things are at the minute and the way everything's kind of so driven by targets and the time scales and all, all of the, the data inputting that we have to do means that really the best time to see families is late, later on at evening. And then sometimes you have to get home um, and work on a weekend and an evening as well. Um, but for me, the time that I get to spend with the children and the families kind of just makes up for all of that. And that's what, what I'm there for. Good. Okay. Well, Nicola, how about you? You've been working five five weeks now. Yeah, Cr five. Criminal justice. Yep. Is that as you expected it would be? Um, well, I didn't really know what to expect because, unlike the um, I came in without any statutory experience, so I was only in voluntary agencies. So I was getting used to just the statutory, like a local authority, a new job. So it was already new to me. So there was a lot to take on. Yeah. So I didn't really know what to expect. A huge amount of kind of new things yeah. to sort of absorb, uh, as well as all the interpersonal stuff, yeah. presumably with the team. Yeah, and um, the team were really supportive, been really supportive so far. Um, as I just said, it's a lot of informal supervision, just chat, mm. chat about your cases to people in the office or go to structured supervision with your manager, so it is good in that way. So you feel you're being, I mean, I mean this in a professional way, but protected? Yeah, I feel like very, I've only been in there five weeks, mm. so yeah, very protected at the moment. And, I think that local authority is particularly good with nearly qualified social workers in that way. They are quite nurturing. Mm -hmm. That's good. It's multi-agency, you were telling me as well, because you, you have other disciplines within the team, is that right? Um, not within the team, but we will work. We work very closely with closely working things, with. Like, things like housing, police. We're very closely with these people. 
does that has that been anything that you had an opportunity to kind of experience when you were training? Not so much in voluntary placement. So again, that kind of multi-agency work in, I've seen theory, but not actually yeah. practice. That's me as well. Yeah. Okay, well, just for a minute, we'll hold it and ask Will about to, to go into. You just secured employment, haven't you? So, yes. um, have you met the team yet? I haven't met the team. Yet. Met the team. So I'm aware of the team. Okay. Um, because I was in the fortunate position that I was uh, employed in the local authority that I had my last placement, oh, so I'd already made networks. Um, so I was aware of the team through that, uh, and actually that opened up door, you know, new doors for me. Um, you know, going, my last placement was in criminal justice with adults, um, but I'm crossing over now to youth offending, so that's going to have its own challenges, I feel. But I think I'm quite well prepared for it. Um, and the work I've done in the past you know, has, has done that for me. I've had two statutory placements, so I feel really well prepared. So you've had some statutory experience and you're also familiar with the kind of the surroundings and the people, some of the people that you're going to be working yes, with. Yes, and the yeah. frameworks and theory. Yeah. Okay, well I mean any of you, Leanne if you like, whatever, but any of you, I mean this conference that we're at now that you're helping manage, I mean effectively is all to do with social work education. And it's all to do with kind of the next phase, if you like, of students that are coming up behind you and their teachers, or essentially their teachers. Do you see a difference now? Is it any more tense, any more regulated, any more kind of difficult, do you think, for the people coming behind you? Do you, do you feel that in any way or do you feel it was they're getting it easier? Because we've heard things in, you know, these keynote speeches this morning, some people say it's a doddle. Other people say it's really tricky, so where is it in the middle? You know, what, what would your advice to new students be? I think, I think you know, no, nobody's saying that there aren't issues in social work education at the minute, but kind of a lot of the conversation at this conference has been about how, you know, we unite as a profession and, and you know, collectively address those issues. You know, I think not only is it a problem for the next phase of students coming in, but social work education should be applicable throughout your whole career. And there's a big issue at the minute, I feel, where you feel you graduate from university and then you're in practice and there's this huge huge gap between practice and research and we've talked a lot about how you know we need to bring that together we need to have more practitioners that are engaged in research you know universities employing more social work practitioners and incorporating in them into their teaching and I think for me being here at, at JSWEC that's been really valuable to do that because it is a conference primarily dominated by social work academics there's not a, a big representation of service users here and there's not a big representation of students or practitioners either so I think we've brought that that voice to that to the conference um, so I think that's really valuable. I feel like the practitioners in my work were a bit out of touch with research and they've, I think they've said they've enjoyed me coming in and challenging maybe even just saying things like why why do you do it that way and so they've been able to stand back and think actually just think why they do it I've not mm. really thought about that for a while so. It's quite often yeah. a, having somebody new join the team who's been recently through the education system mm. I remember when I've managed teams, you know, it was like a breath of fresh air, having people like yourselves coming into teams, because like you say, you can challenge. I mean, have you seen any of the students coming up behind you? Have you managed to have any conversation? What do you think the world's going to be like for them? Do I, I don't know if it will or Nicola, you want to say a bit more of it? I think Leanne would be able to answer that, because I was actually in Leanne's year uh, and took a year out, so I am now the year, the year behind. Um, so you, I, I don't know what you, what, what have you seen in me in the last year? 
What have I seen in you in the last year, Will? Um, well, I think you, you, you're really actually quite prepared for practice and you've had a lot of the experience and we've all been on the same degree course so that's really given us some consistency in, in the teaching that we've had. Um, I'm just about, we've just started recruiting again and we're getting another batch of newly qualified social workers coming into the team. So that'll be, that'll be nice to kind of spend some time with them as I'm, I'm now finishing my ASYE year. So I think that'll be really valuable. In terms of the way things have changed in the in the work climate, I think it's I feel as if it's maybe the same as from when I started work. I don't think that there's been a massive amount of change. There's a lot of talk about what the problems and the issues are and we talk about how we might move that forward, but from a practice point of view, it doesn't feel like things have moved forward very much in spite of some of the, the kind of conversations that have been had. Well, let me just pick up a point. I think you made it, Nicola. I mean, essentially, I, as I took it, you were talking about, or one of you was talking about continuous professional development. I mean, you know, okay, it's early days, but still, you know, I am guessing from what you're all saying that you really would like to think that you're going into an atmosphere where continuous learning is very important. Was, it, was that Definitely. fair? Yes. Yeah. Because everything changes. Yeah. Everything changes so quickly anyway, even policies and practice, that I feel like you do have to keep up to date with it all. To be able to provide the correct, even to provide the correct information to your services. I think I think you know managing yourself and allowing that time to develop further is going to be key. You know, certainly looking at it from myself, you know, uh, my own point of, uh, point of view. You know, once I get in there, it's about being able to find those gaps to continue that knowledge because you can quite easily get sucked into practice and forget to look at new theory, new legislation that's coming out, um, at, you know, and just go run through the mill, you know, rather than sort of develop new new skills. Well, then that's fair point. Nicola, you want to say? I think, um, you're saying like being through the same four years, being through the same four years of uni, but your education can change from person to person so much going through a social degree because I never had a statutory placement, you've had your statutory placements. Like, it's so, like you're saying, what's in store for the next generation, like the next year. I think it changed between person and person, not just mm-hmm. years. It's... Like my experience has been so different to yours, mm-hmm. and you're coming into the job with such different perspectives. Sure. And Why do you look back, the three of you, four years ago, or five years ago, or whatever? Could you imagine what that four years was going to be like, really, or how it might have changed you? I think I changed massively, and I don't think that you can go through a social work degree and not not change. You know, it it kind of it directs you to. Th- to unpick parts of you and yourself. You know, we need to, to have an understanding of our own issues and ourselves as, as people before we can even begin to, to start to work with other people. So I think just by the very nature of it being a social work degree, I think, you know, you're going to change massively. Well, let me, I'll pick this up. Yeah, I, I think that's so important. I mean, and I'll ask just Will and Nicola in a second because I've been talking with Harry Ferguson this morning. We've been talking with other guests on the programme so many of them have talked about the sense of self and you know if you like I mean the way I look upon it and the way the training that I offer and stuff like that is to do with your own value systems the luggage you bring with you if you like to the job because it's such an you know you can't switch it off what your history has been I mean and I'm not asking for any intimate details but just in general do you feel that it's quite important that you get in touch with your own history in order to do a better job I feel as for establishing yourself a newly qualified social worker in a team, it's quite important to be quite self-aware because you're shadowing other people and picking up their piece of practice, but you need to, it's like quite hard then to bring yourself 
into that and have your own style of working with people and that's I think your own experiences and your own perspectives come into that a lot the personal way you work. I, I would agree, um, yeah. I mean I had um, obviously I had a year out as we just discussed uh, and I think I grew up massively in that year and really reflected on myself you know and you know what I was looking from from myself what I expected from myself you know within education so I came back a different person to, to what I was beforehand where I was maybe a, a little naive you know, with regards to what you know, what I was expecting, you know, from a social work degree, and um, so I came back more prepared uh, to finish the degree. Yeah, yeah, to finish the degree. yeah it just gives you a good I mean, awareness. Would that fit human. with you, Leanne? Yeah, there's a variety of reasons why we might have gotten gotten into the social work profession, but you know. We work on a daily basis with all of this this trauma and all these really painful experiences, and you know we might have had a, a fairly okay life ourselves, but there's still going to be parts of that that might have resonance with us. And I think it's really important that we are aware of what the potential issues are for us as people, and learn to manage that in a way that it doesn't impact on the on us as, as social workers, and then again impact on the families that we're working with. And I think that's why reflective supervision is so important so that you can talk about some of these, these feelings that you're having about. Very, that's a very good point. I was just talking about with the previous guest about reflective supervision and she was going on with a sense of self as well. And this idea, I mean, joking apart, but I mean, just to stop making not too heavy, but you talk about, I always say, you know, if your budgie died that morning and you go in and you get told to go and talk to a family whose budgie's just died, I mean, it's pretty difficult unless you've got a good supervisor that can deal with the reflective supervision side of it. And make, take you through that. Is that is that fair? I, I think I think we need to be we we need to build a good resilient base as well. You know, as being able to assist our clients to do the same. You know, um, because as Leanne says, you know, we all might have had things in our life. You know, uh, or, or be dealing with issues. You know, that um, we find difficult. But it's, it's yeah. you know, we work in a field where you're, you're teaching. Or promoting resilience, you know, whereas you know, we, we need to really promote that to ourselves as well. Do you think there's confidence enough amongst yourself and your peers, you know, about these days being being given permission, if you like, to declare, look, I had a bad experience with ABC, and therefore this case looks to me like it's got elements of ABC in it. I suppose it depends. I never know how much to use yourself. The service users like to use. Like your own experiences and things to relate to your service users. Like some people use their own experiences more than others. Some people's line is different. I don't know if you use yourself think, quite yeah. a lot. And yeah, I can relate to that because I've been through that. A lot of people use that a lot more than others. It just changes, I think, between different workers. Because yeah. um, I guess there's a line there between pushing your pro any problems you have onto service users or just seeming like human I, and that you relate yeah. to what they're saying. I think there's a lot to learn. Um, and. We talked about that at um, the end of university. Um, I, you know, I'm a, a firm believer in, in being able to use yourself, um, you know, to kind of pr promote a different lifestyle. And looking at that from a criminal justice context, you know, if you can relate to anything the person's saying and saying, I can understand. I've maybe been there. You know, there is another way. You know, and I can help you get there. You know, you're really getting on the same level. You know, and. Uh, I think it builds up a good a good relationship, uh, but there is a line, you know, to, to how much you're giving away. But you, yeah. you know, there is no harm in using, you know, some um, periods of your life to say, you know, I was once there, you know, I came from, you know, 
an impoverished background as well. Um, and look at where I am. There is, there is a light. Yeah. I mean, I, I've obviously met you during this whole conference, and I know that all three of you have got a, a reasonable confidence, you know, at least you're fronting a reasonable confidence. I hope it's the case. But, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I was talking with Harry Ferguson there, you know, and he was talking about charismatic social workers. He was talking about inspirational social workers. He was talking about how important he thought that was, as much as you're able to inspire the service user, to inspire your colleagues. Well, in a way, I'd say you're quite, you're acting like a role model. Sometimes I'd say you are, it's for criminal justice. There's young girls sitting in front of you, and you're a woman. You're going, I think sometimes they do look up to you in that way. So I guess that's quite important. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think, you know, when Harry does talk about all the, the inspirational practice that, that's happening, and I think it's really easy for us not, not to focus on that, and it's not as promoted as well as, as maybe, you know, the, the things that have, have gone wrong with social work. But definitely, and I think we talk about relationship-based social work practice, and you do build relationships with families, and there is, you know, a certain element of, of yourself and, and, being, and being charismatic, you know, going in and, and spending time on the floor with the children, talking to the parents, you know, on, on a level basis, you know, I think... We're not robots, we're not there and there's difficulties in, in the processes and things. But I think, you know, we as, as individual workers can really try and, and combat some of that by how we're relating to children and families. I mean, it's like one, one father said to me not, not so long ago, you know, it's not you that I've got the problem with, it's the process. And I thought, well, it, that just says it all really, doesn't it, I think. Okay. Just as a final question then for all of you. Okay. Just imagine sitting in front of us here there's a whole crowd of young people, all right, that are considering social work as a career. Okay? Messages to them. Nicola, what would you say to young people thinking about social work as a career? Is it worth it? Would you, um, would you, would you encourage them? I think it's not something that you would look at the A to Z course list for uni and think, social work, that sounds all right, I'll go into that. Because it is, as Leanne said, it is quite a lifestyle. It is quite a lifestyle. Mm. And, it's a big change, and so I think I think you'd have to be really I think you'd have to be really interested in it for personal reasons, or yeah, you'd have to yeah, you'd have to really want to do it if you want to be successful in it, or it's just yeah. Yeah, I, I think you know, you, you, I, I, the message I want to pass on to them is it is hard work, you know, but at the end of it, there is there is path. there is rewards, you know, at the end of it, yeah. and it is a lifestyle change, as Leanne says, you know, but. That's not necessarily a negative, a negative thing, you know. Yeah, and I, I would say the same. You know, it's probably one of the most rewarding careers that you can have, and it, it is frustrating and it is difficult at times. But I think spend as much time as you can researching it. Do voluntary placements, get involved with other projects in the community, and if you, you know, if you, if you like spending time with people and. You know, then I think that's one of the key things, really. And I think in the UK, and I don't know if you'd all agree with this, but I, I've been in different parts of the world where social work's practised, and in the most of the Western industrialised societies, a social worker is considered to be an independent professional in a corporate environment. In other words, you, you, you kind of go along with the rules of your employer, but you are an independent professional, just like a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. And I think my own view is, as soon as we recognise this with the talent that's coming through, like yourselves at the moment, the more rich and experienced the service users will get. 
Anyway, listen, Leanne, Will, Nicola, thank you ever so much for being on the programme and um, good luck in your jobs. Thank you. Well, there we are. Three newly qualified social workers, Nicola, Will and Leanne, giving their view of the world to come. Secondly, it's this book launch, Social Media and Social Work Education. So let's have a discussion with the authors and see what's what. Right, well I'm delighted to have a, a group of people here with me, half a dozen, who are uh, authors, who are actually here to talk about the, the latest publication. And Joanne, you're going to introduce the session? I am, yes. My name is Joanne Westwood. I'm a senior lecturer in social work and um, I'm delighted to be here at JSWEC this year because we're launching a book which we talked about last year and for something to be realised that's that big a project in, in a year is fantastic and testament to some really hard work by a small group of very committed people so it's a, a real delight. Um, the book is called Social Media in Social Work Education. So let's just get that one more time. Social Media in Social Work Education. Yes. Okay. And it's available from? From Critical Publishing. Critical Publishing. Yes. And it was um, launched today. Um, and people can buy it online or um, through yeah. Amazon, etc., etc. Fine. Well, we'll talk about it a couple of times again during the course of okay. it. All right. So thanks. Okay. Do you want to say a little bit about what it's about? Maybe moving around the circle? Yeah. Is that right? So, um, Denise Turner wrote one of the chapters in the book, and her chapter is an autoethnography um, um, describing um, the way that she became introduced to Twitter um, okay. as a PhD student. All right. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Um, yeah, my name's Denise. I'm, I'm a lecturer at the University of Sussex, and um, I've got the last chapter in this book, which, as Joanne said, is an autobiography, and it's aimed at encouraging people like me, of a certain generation, who don't feel that they can access social media, okay. to do so and to um, illustrate some of the benefits of that. And um, the book illustrates the benefit for me because. I suddenly became part of a book that I would never have dreamed of being part of a year or two years ago. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. All right. Tarsim Kuna? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Um, it's the same thing, Kuna. I'm yeah. from the University of Birmingham. Um, my chapter is primarily about um, helping academics, I suppose, it's technically and in detail, set up. Um, closed Facebook groups to encourage their students to think about the ethical issues of using social media as students of social media, but also once they go out into practice as well, because this is becoming a new area of research uh, for practice and for teaching. I'm looking at my colleagues and I think that they're nodding with me. And um, just to plug the, the Social Work Social Media app that I, I produced as well, which acted as a stimulus uh, for the chapter because it, it acted as a trigger for students to start to explore five quite clear areas of ethics and, and using social media. And whilst I was developing that app, um, most, of the, most of our colleagues here actually attended uh, a higher edu education academy funded uh, training event. And I think it's at that stage where we actually started to talk about publishing book of this nature. And it's, it's been great. Joanne's acted as a great editor 
she didn't wield the whip that often. I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, certainly kept us in line and uh, ensured that uh, we, we got the material put okay. together quickly. We'll come back to everybody in a minute. I'd just like everybody to do their introduction about their chapters next. Hi. Hi, my name's Amanda Taylor. I'm uh, located at the University of Central Lancashire and um, my chapter is about the use of book groups in social work education and looking at actual and virtual, how actual spaces and virtual spaces can merge together in some way. Um, like Torsten said, um, we're all interested in social media, but we also do other things, so it was merging those two things together um, to produce something that's fairly new and quite dynamic. Okay, well, I know we're going to be talking to you Alina, about book groups a bit later on, but is that okay for the moment Absolutely, on your chapter? Yeah. Okay. Liz, would you like to say yes, who I'm, you are? I'm Liz Thackray, and at the moment I'm not affiliated to any of the universities. Um, but I got involved with the book last year um, through um, JSWEC, a presentation I did at JSWEC. My chapter's a bit different from the other chapters in that it's not so much looking at how we've used um, social media, but looking at how Twitter and other social media fit into a broader um, technological background in terms of why we use technology, how we use technology, who uses technology. And in particular, one of the things I wanted to look at was um, the notion that has taken root of um, digital natives, which is not necessarily the best way of seeing users of technology in a social media, but there are other, what I consider to be better models around, such as the residents and um, visitors model. Okay. Um, so it's trying to get people to think theoretically as well as thinking um, practically about the uses of social oh, that's media. That's fine, thanks. David, do you want to say something? Yeah, I'm David McKendrick from Glasgow Caledonia University. My chapter is on using blogs in social work education and encouraging people to think about blogs as being beneficial for students, particularly if they're dealing with complicated academic ideas or ethical issues. But often blogs can offer a quicker and easier route for people to understand the, the, the content. Okay, yeah, thanks. Well, let me put a general question to I mean, whoever wants to answer, just chip in now, sort of thing. I mean, social media, I mean, it's exponentially, it's growing, you know, all over the place, it's huge, and we're all here from social work as a common thread. The use of social media um, in social work practice, have you, I mean, what, what sort of thoughts would you all have about that? Because there, there is a, I mean, if you want to take it a bit further in terms of technology, you know, whether it's actually linking up client groups on Facebook, whether it's actually having individual Twitter accounts with one of your service users, or um, even taking technology a wee bit further and Skyping instead of making a visit. I mean, you know, how you all think about that, because it's, it's not going to get put back in the bottle again. So how you think we should, as a profession, embrace, you know, the new changes, whether it's social media, technology, whatever, you know, it's, just, it's the same family. Anybody who wishes to answer on that one? I think that's interesting because we're educating practitioners now coming emerging practitioners, isn't it? Mm. Who are very much digitally aware and they'll want to, they'll want to explore yeah. these types of practice. We'll be encouraging them to do that. The interesting thing is, I'm not sure that the facility is there in terms of even trust around agencies being able to give that access for that to happen. Joanna and I have just been in a session where they were talking about Skype and I didn't actually know this, that Skype monitor the conversations on there. And we often use Skype 
different reasons, tutorials with students, all sorts of things go on. So there's still a lot of learning to be done about the unknowns around yeah, social media, really, and the use of practice. I mean, I, I've been talking with other people about this over the, the last year or so. I mean, and there's things like Skype is fantastic. You know, if you walked into a, a, a person, an elderly person's, say a residential unit or something like that, and you said to somebody, one of the residents, you know, here, do you want to use this computer? They would probably say no. But if you said, here, look, do you want to talk to your daughter in Australia? I could do this for you now. You'd probably get an immediate engagement. And, and, and it's just probably the way you present the, the technology or, or the, the media, whatever. So there's with smart houses and have you heard of Momo, which is the mind of my own for young people? Um, it's an app for young people leaving care that gives them everything they need to know on an app, which for them is just perfect. And because, as you say, some of the service users that we all work with are going to be so much more capable than we are, possibly. I mean, I'm not insulting you all, but you know what I mean in terms of usage. Yeah, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is that there's been a very interesting piece of research done recently in Australia um, with the agency that was involved in counselling young people and where the, the service was offered using text. Okay. Um, okay. And apparently that proved a very useful use of, okay, it wasn't social media, but it was an electronic yeah, yeah, media yeah. rather than face-to-face -face or phone or whatever. Um, the other thing, though, that I'd put on the other counter side is I think it's interesting looking at the work of somebody like um, Sherry Turkle and her um, book, Alone Together, where she points to, at one side, she's one of these people who's been using technology all their life. It's very enthusiastic about the use of social media, but at the same time, points to the fact that we can, if we're not careful, almost tip over the edge and become too reliant on social media and other media. And for instance, gives the example of um, electronic toys that are being produced in um, Japan, which mimic a, a cuddly toy and are used for monitoring elderly people. So I think it's one of those areas where, yes, there's room for development, but we've got to tread carefully and be aware of the problems. Okay. I um, think we need to um, exercise Joanne. some caution. Yeah, sorry, I'm Joanne. I need to exercise some caution and not break the mic while I'm speaking. <laughs> because um, th this is, these are big changes that are happening, and I think we, we're still learning. Mm. We're still very much on a learning journey. And I think whatever we do with our students around social media, we need to do it really safely so that they can become safe and ethical practitioners using some of these new technologies. So my, um, you know, that's my position. Sure, no, for sure. You know, that's kind of what we talk about. It's not it really? the be-all and end-all. It can be effective in different contexts, but I think a part of the practitioner's role is to assess the context and get the balance right. You know, it's fine to say, well, I'll Skype, you know, out in the different situations, but there needs to be that face-to-face -face. with students they like the technology but they like to be in front of you as well in that human space because we don't want to lose that humanness either yeah, I think that point, interesting let me take that point slightly I mean the use of the technology with students let's say because all of you are involved in that I mean whether it's they're on they're, they're texting or they're, they're, they're on an iPad or something like that it changes the dynamic of the room doesn't it and in terms of the learning experience now take yourselves as a group in the auditorium at the keynotes 
half of that auditorium were on iPads or laptops or phones, smartphones, while people were actually talking. Mm-hmm. And that changed the dynamic of the whole room as well, because they weren't watching the, the speaker, they were doing other things. And I just, for my mind, you know, it's changed the dynamic for me. It's the same. Um, I guess my question to that is, is that they're visibly doing something, so you make the judgment that it changes the dynamic. But, you know, somebody could be sitting there, but their mind could be wandering elsewhere, and you wouldn't know. And so, you know, the lights are on, but there's nobody at home, kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, to, because they've got a, a device of some nature, they may be tapping around, actually the thought, even if they're sitting there without a device, you know, they could be wandering anywhere else. And I think that this is, perhaps the change in dynamic is, is that you're becoming more aware of the concentration levels in a way that perhaps you haven't been before. And somebody said to me, I've done it before last year, um, I was chatting to Jackie Lafferty, who was sitting about seven rows down from me, but we were talking about what the presenter was saying. Hmm. And it would be rude for me to shout down from seven rows down and say, well, what do you think? But so, so it does change the dynamic, but not negatively. So, I mean, potentially, there's always pluses and, and minuses. But yeah. I think the concentration on the minuses sometimes overwhelms and, and reduces the creativity that we can bring in, that social media allows, whether that's in education or in practice. I think it, it's moving away from the fear factor, it's acknowledging it, you know. You can't go into these things without some degree of acceptance that you are taking a risk. But it's got to be a calculated risk. And if the risk is calculated enough, then that creativity can actually open new spaces for me, as well as new spaces for uh, I, I mean, I, I, I take everything you're saying. I understand that there's, you're all, on the, if you like, on the positive side of this embracing new technology and whatnot. I'm still on a journey in terms of technology and yeah. in terms of looking at the landscape, if you like, and whether it's somebody walking in front of me or, yeah. on the smartphone and making me trip up because yeah. they're not looking where they're going or whether it's them killing themselves walking across the road when they don't know where they're going or whether it's in a lecture where I'm not sure if they're doing that or if they're texting their boyfriend. I just, do you know what I mean? It's, it's this trying to, I'm getting used to the new landscape. If, I think and it, it changes and evolves so quickly. I think uh-huh. that is always going to be the default position. And I think once we accept that's the default position, we might be a bit more open to it as opposed to trying to critique it so carefully in terms of what we are doing. If you think about students in the learning space, when you've been a student yourself, or you've been anywhere, doodling. You know, if somebody's lecturing away and they're doodling like mad, you know, mm. it doesn't mean they're not thinking. It just might mean that they're relaxing into that thinking space in a different way. Because most of us multitask all of the time, isn't it? We're always fiddling with something or clicking pens or doing whatever. I, I do understand what both of you were saying there. I mean, I, I'm just... I'm just, I'm not at the destination yet, that's all. I think I have a wee way to go. But I, what if I get a comment from each of the five of you as a final thing about your book, all right? And for the final thought, well, why should people read it? Let's try that one. Tarson, would you like to start? Well, I, I can speak from my, my own personal perspective. Um, I think people should buy the book because you, you'll just learn so much from it and so many different perspectives. I sat down and I started reading the book and I learned so much. And so this journey that, that we're talking about, we're all on that journey. Mm. And just 
reading the different perspectives, it was, it was just wonderful. Okay. And what it does is it just opens. If, if you read the book with an open mind, then it gives you the potential to develop your practices in a whole number of ways. So when you read the book, think, I'm going to be creative, I'm going to take some of these ideas out. And they're not, you know, kind of rocket science ideas. They're, they're ideas that are easy to follow through. And ultimately, dare I say it, I'm speaking for the group here, is, is that if people have questions when they read a book, tweet us. Mm -hmm. And what we'll do is, is we'll respond. If we don't know, we'll say we don't know, but somebody else might know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we can point people in the right direction. So we hope people don't look at the book as, as the, the beginning and the end. But rather as the stepping stone that opens up to more interaction with us. Right, thank you. David? Um, just before I, I say my piece, I think it's really important to recognise the contribution that Jackie Rafferty made to this book as well. You know, Jackie's been uh, banging the drum for technology and education for a lot longer than any of us have, and it's really important for us to look at technology. I, I kind of echo what Tarsen is saying, as about being on a journey. You know, and if you read the book, you'll see the journey that we've been on. And if we can navigate that journey, then anybody can navigate that journey. That would be my motivation for buying it. Okay. Okay, Liz. Yes, I've heard lots of people saying, this social media, it's interesting, but I don't get it, or I don't know how to begin with it. And I would say, buy the book, and you'll get lots of ideas on how to begin to engage with social media and how to make a decision as to what you might want to do and might not want to do. Okay, thank you. Uh, Amanda? Well, for me, when I, I opened the book the other day, I was happy to be uh, writing about something different. And I was thinking, I came to your, your chapter today, that's where I started because I was interested. I was reading about blog and something came up on Twitter and I thought, I'll, I'll read this about what David said about this and I might be able to respond in a more informed manner. So for me, it's been really interesting, even though I have a part in the book, to read it. And I know these people fairly well in terms of what they do. I still didn't know, it didn't have that depth in terms of what was going on. So that was interesting for me to go back and look at what are they actually saying and how are they saying it? You know, what is it? And I think. This, everyone's point is, is right, this is just a starting point. I would be liking people to get in touch with me to say, actually, I, I was thinking about book group in this particular way, and actually, I think you should do this with it, or here's another idea for it. I would like them to build on that. Because I think all of us have just made, we've kind of broke the ice in some way for this and set it down. I think it'd be really good for people to get in touch with us and, and let this grow in some way and, and get involved in it. Okay, thank you. Joanne? Um, yeah. And can you just include a total... Repetition again of the book, the publisher, where yeah, you can get it yeah. from. The book is um, Social Media and Social Work Education, um, and it's published by um, Critical Publishing, and it's available now from any good bookseller, <laughs> I suspect. Um, the book was um, a really interesting um, piece of work for me to do, and like my colleagues have said, you know, I learned so much just by being involved in their chapters and how they were writing them. I did lots of the editing work in the book and I also co-wrote a chapter. Um, and it meant that I had to learn a lot about a lot of things in a very short space of time because I didn't know about the, the theory that Liz, Liz was using and that David was using, that Paulson was using, that Amanda and Denise were using. It was all new, new concepts and new ideas for me. So I learned a huge amount and I would encourage anybody that's interested in finding out about the theories that underpin social media 
um, and learning and teaching in, in social work education and more broadly I, I think and to, you know to, to buy the book because you will you will learn stuff from it and again you know to reiterate what everyone else has said get in touch with us and you know share your journey with us because we're really interested in this well, where's the best what's the best Twitter address or email or anything to get in touch with you if they wanted to it's a hashtag hashtag, hashtag um, SM SWE, so hashtag SMSWE, and uh, we, we use that on a fairly regular basis, so you're bound to get a response if you put something on there. Pleasure talking to you all. Good luck with the book. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank Thanks you. very much. Thank you. Well, thanks, and I do commend that book to you. It's well worth it. Now, lastly, we've got uh, Pauline, Holly and Ben talking about uh, social media, promoting the voice of young people in uh, social work education. Right, well I'm joined now by Pauline Franklin, Holly Dixon and Ben Middleton. Now, Pauline gave a session at the JSWEC conference today on the using social media to promote the voice of young people in social work education and Holly and Ben came along to support her and add their bits. So I'm going to start by asking Pauline how the session came about, how it went, how the session came about and what your thoughts were on that particular subject, why this particular subject. Okay, well I'm not quite sure if I'll do it in that order but here goes. Um, the session came about as part of a piece of research that we've been doing through Canterbury Christchurch which was looking at ways that we can develop the involvement of younger people in social work education. We've got currently quite a big service user group from older people, but, but the voice of young people is not really heard in social work education. So one of the things that we looked at was ways that we could find the voice of young people and social media came to mind. Um, we were lucky enough to win a contract and funding from Nominet Trust which allowed us to use systematic review methods to search the internet to find resources that were already out there that we could potentially use as part of social work education. Um, using systematic review methods we also appraised those pieces of work that we found. Now we felt it wasn't good enough for myself as a lecturer and as my social work team alone to review those, it needed to be reviewed by young people. And that's where Holly and Ben came in, um, because that's how I met them, through Catch22, um, which is a national charity that supports young people um, in care but also leaving care. Um, so I established contact with Holly and Ben and together we've looked at the resources that were out there we've evaluated them, worked out how good they were or how not as good as we thought they would be they were and having done that today was the culmination of that really to come and present what we found. Um, you said that it was they were there supporting me, I would say that it was their presentation, it was for them to present. Um, the whole idea of this research is to give young people a voice, so being here today is important for Ben and Holly to give them a voice so that they can have a say. Fine, fine. Right, Holly, Ben, hi. Thanks you both very much for coming along. Um, obviously listening to what Pauline was saying there about why you're here. From your point of view, Holly, how, how important was this bit of work, do you think? I think it's very important. I've been trying for a long time to be able to help 
the care system in any way I possibly can. I've always set off since I went into care myself that I was going to improve the care system for people that are younger than me to improve it to make their lives better. So I joined many different like parliamentary groups to help social services, forums, um, doing interviews for foster carers, water lodgings and social workers, all different things just to get involved. And along the way, that's where we met Pauline, she came to one of our forums, she introduced herself, she said, is there anyone that is interested in helping out with her trying to look more into that social work? So I, we did, and I was probably the only one that met the forum that actually turned up. Um, so I asked about, because Pauline said that she said, it doesn't matter what sort of care system you're in, if you had any influence or any part of the care system, she would like to know because it's still a point of view. It's not all just about kids that are in foster care. There are other types of care systems out there. That's where I then contacted Ben, yeah. because he's under ILS was about um, people with disabilities. It's not just children, it can be adults. And they live in like a house share, and there are people that look after them, sort of but they still have their independence. So I brought him along, so he can actually have say. So it's not all me about foster care, but it's a bit of everything. No, it's good. Thanks, just for now. Ben, did you find out that this was quite important after Holly introduced you to this? Uh, I mean, yeah. How important is, would you think this is? How I basically thought it was very important to actually get a voice out there and be someone that can do stuff themselves, plus show everyone else around them that you're there to do something in front of people. Me, I'm a very scared person. I don't like talking like most things, I just usually, all my uh, stuff goes through music. Um, I'm training to be a DJ, so that's a background drop for me. It helps me to relax and chills me out when I'm having a rough day at home or something's not gone right and everything's just gone up over my head. So all of this is all about communication isn't it and so whether it's music or whether it's words or whether it's social media and whatever it's all about talking to young people. Is that, would you recommend it to other young people? Yes I would recommend it to many other people if they needed someone to or something to base their background on music would be the key. Ben was interested in this originally because of the fact that he doesn't ever get listened to at home and he's always been like left out because he's the one with the least problems where he lives so therefore he was just sort of pushed out and people forget about him so he really has got lost in the system and in the voice so for him and for me it sort of helps us both and helps everyone else in our situation. So what I'm picking up here really is Ben is a Holly saying, Pauline saying, it's, it's also it's giving you a bit of a voice, a better voice and a bit of confidence. Which is excellent, isn't it? I think good, yeah. Pauline, where, where can people get a hold of the work you've done? How, where can they see it? How can other people share it, not just in sessions like today? In the um, literature that's gone out today, we have included a hyperlink. Holly and Ben have created a Prezi, um, and embedded in that is a hyperlink, which is to, at the moment, a draft, but it's a public draft of a website. That hopefully will be the next stage of the project. Um, within that project, I'm hoping to develop a website that we can 
perhaps in the future work on with other universities that can be a, a mutual resource that people can contribute to. But I'm going to make that link public as it is now, so that the work of Holly and Ben will be out there for everyone to see. Is there a link you can easily say to people listening? Not off the top no, of my head. Not off the top head, or no, a, a place no, that we can go. It. Yeah, we'll put it on. If I'll ask, I'll ask afterwards, and we'll make sure that people have a listen to this. Okay, so the next step then, you indicated a bit about what you'd like to do. Does that mean you're still going to look for funding for it? I'm hoping to, yes. I'll, I'm going to be going back to Nominet Trust. I already have prim preliminary talks with them. Um, I'm hoping that we can get additional funding to progress this and to take it to the next stage. We will be producing papers, we will be publishing it um, on our Canterbury Christchurch website. The information will be there. Um, but it would be nice to take it to the next step. We've, we've spent 18 months building up a relationship, working together. Um, one of the key things that Holly and Ben said to me was that social workers are often interested in, in the short term. I wanted to know in the short term. But to actually get to know somebody and to really hear what they're saying, you have to take time to build a relationship. We've just spent 18 months building a relationship and for the project to end when we've now got to that stage it would be such a shame we now need to take it on and continue with it certainly within Christchurch we'll continue to work with Ben and Holly but it would be nice to be able to extend that well I mean it sounds like you've done such really good work it's such a shame to have it paused when you have to scrabble around to get some money I think so I mean obviously hopefully anybody listening to this get any influence or whatever to actually get in touch and we'll put your details about how to get in touch by the end yeah. of the programme. It would also be great to have other people join in as well. Well, whatever you need really, I mean that's, we'll just put the call out, I mean I can't promise anything but no, we'll put the call out. Yeah. Just from my point of view though, okay, social media, right, covers a huge area. What were any particular bits of social media that you're focusing on or is it just the whole use of to get the voice of a young person? At this stage what we were doing was a systematic review of what's out there. One of the key findings was that um, we're in a, social media moves on very, very quickly. Most of the, the voice of young people comes from organisations and tends to be promoting what that organisation wants people to know. One of the biggest problems is having a sustainable voice of the young person themselves because they create something and then they get commitments, they get life events and, and they move on and then that piece of work, often a really valuable piece of work, is lost. Um, so there needs to be a mechanism, not just for sustainability in terms of um, the young person involved or the young people involved, but also moving with the times. Social media moves on rapidly and we need to not be just stuck into one mechanism but being aware of what is out there that can be used ethically. Um, and working along with that way. So I think it's got to be a process rather than an end point. Let's, let's get some final thoughts from Holly and Ben and That'd then be come good. back to you uh, for contact details. Okay, yeah. so Holly, start with Holly. Um, if you had to give a, a message to, to young people out there or to people who are working with young people who think could benefit from this initiative of yours, what would that message be? What, what would you say to them? Don't worry, it's a real conference, folks. <laughs> Just don't give up on things. Um, there's so many different organisations out there that can help people that are in care. There's like voice advocates, 
that you can look up and they know all about all the different laws and all the help that any kids in care need. Uh, there's all different forums all over the country for different counties. You just need to look them up and contact them. They'd always be happy to have more people helping them. They actually have a problem with trying to get the word out to everyone. They try their best but they can't. And with the social worker side of things, maybe just listen more to the young people and just give them more of a chance, try and understand them, try and be around them more. Make a better relationship, don't always just say, oh, I'm going to do something and then next second you're leaving someone else to take my place. Because that seems to be a lot of what's going on nowadays. They promise you the world and then they disappear and someone else takes their place. Thank you. Okay, Ben. If you had to say something to other young people out there that might be listening to this, um, would you think that this has been a good idea to help young people have a voice? I do indeed. Um, everything that we've been working on and everything like that, I would like to just say to everyone that carry on with what you're doing. So please help everyone that needs the, the support and everything out there. And, that's my final word. No, really. that's fine. That's a very powerful word. Thanks very much. Pauline, what, how, would we, how do we get in touch? How do people get in touch with you if they want to? Um, they can find me at Canterbury Christchurch University. Um, do you want my email address? Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, my email address is pauline.franklin at canterbury.ac.uk um, and I'm at the University of Canterbury, Canterbury Christchurch. Pauline, Ben, Polly, it's been delightful talking to you. Thank you very much indeed. Good luck with the project. Thank you. Okay. Well, there we are. Finally, the uh, interviews that were done at Royal Holloway have been completed. It's taken a couple of months and some sort of half a dozen special podcasts, but I hope you agree with me. It really was worth it. My thanks, as always, to... Um, all the digital media. My thanks to um, John Bolton, who organised the JSWEC conference. Adam Bolton, who helped on this audio considerably. And uh, even with the enormous amounts of background noise, I hope you managed to get some golden nuggets from it. Uh, next year, uh, Open University, Milton Keynes, JSWEC conference again, where we'll have hopefully just as many excellent interviews and um, learning opportunities. You can listen to me uh, on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Podfeed. You can listen to this podcast, uh, you can download it, or you can just listen to it at uh, www.socialworldpodcast.com. I'm Dave Niven. And thank you very much for listening.